America. We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blood on the Rocks. I'm your host, Akshay Taylor, and today I'm once again joined by Courtney from the Cult of Domesticity. Yeah, I'm in a different state now, though. I'm in Washington State. I've moved significantly farther away, <laughs> like three times so significantly. It was quite a bit. Um, but yeah, so I uh, literally asked if anyone was free like two like two hours ago i think three hours ago so and you're here now (laughs) (laughs) that is true and that's how this and that's how this happened (laughs) it is currently 4 27 a.m and we are beginning (laughs) oh it's fine it's 8 30 for me i'm good i'm good i got some time (laughs) Mm mm-hmm and today I am drinking a cappuccino because it's 4.27 a.m. and we are beginning. <laughs> I am finishing a bottle of wine and out of the bottle because why wash glasses? Yep. So today I'm going to be telling you about a serial killer. Um, My favorite. I know. Who was English, but he was um, captured and executed in Singapore. Hmm. Got some travel in this. I know. And I assure you, I didn't know about this guy till like three days ago. So just <laughs> So I'm I'm doing it. But yeah, so his name is John Martin Scripps, who was a an English spree killer who who killed three tourists and had another three unconfirmed victims on top of that. It's a and, subtle level of serial killing. Yeah. So oh and yes, we also the Murderly Network is now up and open. So there's a bunch of really cool podcasters that are joined up there and people should go check it out. I'm not sure if the website is up yet, but it should be like soon. And yeah, I think I might talk about a little bit about that at the end. But first of all, we have a serial killer to talk about. So let's cut to music and we'll be right back. And we are back. So um, let's talk about John Martin Scripps, who I found out about three days ago, and you've just found out about, as far as I can tell. <laughs> so I'm actually releasing this a day late as well, actually, because I, did, well, I wasn't so happy with it yesterday. I thought mm-hmm. I had to do some more note work. So here we are now. So let's um, get into it, shall we? <laughs> because we've only got the one story today because it's long, I think, probably. <laughs> There's a bunch to it, so we'll figure it out. But yeah, John Martin Scripps. So, he was born on the 9th of December 1959 
in Letchford, Hertfordshire, in England. So that sounds very English. Yeah. So his parents were Leonard and Jean Scripps. Um, wait, wait. His dad's name was Lennon. Leonard. Okay, good. I thought it was Lennon. <laughs> Why Lennon? I just thought Lennon escaped somehow, and he's not actually oh, involved Lennon. in Russia. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, okay. We're doing great. I, I, thought, I thought you said Lennon, like John Lennon. <laughs> I was like, what did John Lennon do? <laughs> but yes. Um, yeah, so his dad was a lorry driver and his mum was a um, barmaid on Fleet Street. So he travelled quite a lot in childhood because, uh, as he was with his father. He kind of got this love of travelling from it. So his father would um, commit suicide when he was nine. And shortly after this, uh, scripts would also would develop problems with reading and writing, uh, and he started having a lot of problems with dyslexia, which would le- which would eventually lead to him leaving school at fifteen. Yeah, um, they weren't very nice about that then, were they? It was kind of no, like just beat it out of you. No, 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 they were, they were not. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it was bad enough that he that resulted in him uh, dropping out of school because um, of bullying, from what I can tell. Yeah, so he dropped out of school and started, continued to travel and stuff, right, and raised money uh, by doing jobs and stuff and selling antiques. Start and entered the world of burglary. Antiques, burglary, got it. Seems like a straight continuous line. Yeah, like his first conviction was in 1974. So that when he was uh, math. Yeah, math. <laughs> Twenty. Wait, no, when he was twelve. No, no. <laughs> Fifteen. So right away when he got out of school? I'm trying to do maths. <laughs> we do podcasts, not maths. Well, you look at rocks and not math. Oh, I, I know why. It's got, is, is it, there's, there's a number difference here. Okay, there is a number, there's a number thing here, which is doing things to my notes and making <laughs> them not make sense. So... I'm just going to read both of them, and you can figure out which I well, and you can figure out which one's right. Okay. Okay. So, um, well, I know well, I know for a fact that he dropped out. He dropped out because of his dyslexia, uh, mm-hmm. and it's my notes say he at the age of fifteen. Mm-hmm. However, they also say at fourteen he disappeared in France from a cadet training camp, and a year later he was in juvenile court for burglary and theft. Um, so. Who who says it can't be both? <laughs> it's like there are numbers there are numbers that are wrong here, but um, it was fifteen or fourteen around here around that time. As a, as a teenager, he he. So he was convicted in May nineteen seventy four, and he was sentenced to a twelve month conditional discharge, and was fined ten pounds uh, for burglary. But it, it didn't end here, as we weren't talking about him. So yeah, he kept stealing. And by August 1976, he'd uh, stolen again three times. And in June 1978, he was fined £40 for indecent assault. What is indecent assault? I feel like it's sexual assault, but they don't want to say it's like not quite. Yeah, okay. So yeah, that indecent assault, um, it's sexual assault. It doesn't involve rape, according to Google. I'm guessing everything but penetration then is considered that. I'd assume so. Yeah, I think, I think it's more that I think it's more that it had just has a lot of overlap rather than it's mm. separate. Okay. 
Um, but I could be lying, so. <laughs> don't trust us. Yeah. We don't know. I'm a professional. I'm a professional. We have a network now. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, so. So, after this, he went travelling in Mexico. While travelling in Mexico, Scripps met Maria Pilar Aralanas, who would go on to become his wife as they got married in 1980, and would then travel together for two years until 82, when he was arrested again and sentenced to a three-year jail term for theft, burglary, and resisting arrest. In Mexico or somewhere else? Um, he'd be arrested in Surrey. I feel um, like that's a weird place. He's been in Mexico, but he gets arrested in Surrey. I mean, this is after traveling together for two years, so I assume they went back to England. But um, he escaped prison and went to Southeast Asia and America to, from what I can tell, smuggle drugs. Um, I'm not shocked. And to quote from Wikipedia, just because I love this line, um, <laughs> and I can for myself change it, his imprisonment upset Maria. <laughs> Really? Really? And, wait, it, it keeps on. And their relationship was further soured when he ran away from jail during home leave in June 1985, just months short of completing his term and burgled again. <laughs> I think she had a right to be upset. Oh, I, yeah, I think, I mean, your husband's almost done with his prison sentence. He escapes and... The drinking game for this is anytime you say the word burgled or any variation of the word burgled because mm. he's burgling everything. Yeah. And yeah, so he was sentenced to another three years of imprisonment uh, during which she filed for divorce and married <laughs> and married police constable Ken Cold, who was an officer in the Royal Protection Squad. Wait, <laughs> she's moving up in the world and then uh, to a cop. So mm-hmm. he's not going to probably go to prison yeah but this angered scripts who acted in revenge and and threatened cold by stealing some of his clothes while he was on home leave that's so stupid i know uh i'm not sure what the exact details are here but uh it goes on to they went on to say that he was appeased only when she divorced her new husband and returned to her hometown and it doesn't really say how it went from stealing clothing to divorce but i assume there was more to it than that he was just burgling up a storm around yeah. them. I guess it was also the I know where you live kind of thing, I guess. The, yeah, that would be creepy. Yeah. I don't know. Did he but shrink it, all his clothes? Because that would be funnier. <laughs> <laughs> just burgle them and return them back slightly smaller so you put them on. You're like, if I gained weight or bigger, get them bigger. Yeah, it goes and shifts everything an inch to the right. <laughs> oh, Subtly messing with them so they go insane and get divorced. Mm. But anyway, after he was released, Scripps legally changed his name to John Martin uh, and began trafficking drugs, carrying heroin between Asia and Europe for a syndicate. How was he carrying it? Did it say? Uh, yeah, there, there are, I do actually have a couple examples. Like the first time his name really came up in for Singapore uh, authorities and people and like offs and whatever was basically when he got arrested at Heathrow for drug possession uh, as police found a key on him that belonged to a safe deposit box in a bank in Orchard Road in Singapore where the officers from Singapore's Central Narcotics Bureau seized one and a half kilos or 3.3 pounds of heroin, which is worth about a million US dollars. You uh, could pay off a lot of student loans with that. I know. 
<laughs> like as someone who just finished uni, I know. <laughs> you just need to do it once and you're good. You're, you mm-hmm. settle all your debts. You have a little, you can maybe afford an apartment <laughs> and then you're good. I, I mean, I've already considered which one, like which of my organs are necessary. <laughs> School does that to you. You're like, mm. do I need this? My kidney's worth something on the black market. <laughs> Oh, man. Not my liver. My liver probably has given up mm. by now, but... So, anyway. <laughs> but yeah, for this and a, and another drug offence, um, he was sentenced in January 1988 to seven years in jail. But he would escape again while on home leave, uh, but was later rearrested. Who's giving him home leave? That's my question. I don't so, know. He's already escaped once. Why would you keep doing this? Like, if someone's already escaped, you're like, let's not give them the, this chance. Like, sir, yeah. you, so, you're you Houdini at this. Please stop. Yeah, so basically in July 1992, uh, the Winchester Crown Court added another six years to the original sentence. which Seems just, fair. Yep, which got his sentence up to um, lasting until 2001. But he escaped again. <laughs> <laughs> other drinking game every time he escapes or mm-hmm. manages to escape punishment you have to drink so that's anytime burglaring is happening or escaping enjoy this yeah so a bit, essentially between 1974 and 1992 he was convicted for more than 20 counts of burglary and theft two for resisting arrest two for drug trafficking and one for outrage of modesty whatever that means so going back a bit to when he was actually in prison just before his escape, um, he, he was at Albany Prison on um, on the Isle of Wight from February 92 to August 1993. Um, That's not that big of an island. How Like, did he just swim somewhere? I mean, I guess, I mean, people live there, so I guess he could have just got on a boat. <laughs> that is That is true. I do see a lot of boats now. I'm trying to remember where the Isle of Wight is, though. Oh no, it's quite close to Portsmouth. So is that bottom left? Uh, no, it's just bottom. Okay. It's the bigger of the islands of the yeah. around the island of the UK. <laughs> but yeah, so um, while he was in Albany Prison from February '92 to August '93, when he escaped, he became a model prisoner and initially did menial jobs like dishwashing and general cleaning, but was promoted to the position of butcher. This is important. <laughs> Don't give him a knife. Why are they giving him knives? Uh, and he was a mo- and at this point he was a model prisoner. <laughs> I don't. After a year and a half. Care there are knives? I guess I know. I also disagree with it, but you know. So yeah, he was under the training of a guy called James Quigley, who was a prison caterer for, uh, with over twenty years' experience, and another inmate who was only defined as ginger who had been a professional butcher, and they basically taught him how to butcher things. <laughs> um, and Martin performed his duties with such efficiency that he once told quickly that he wished to open a butcher's shop after his release, and he was described as a natural. Yeah, I feel like this is foreshadowing, <laughs> and I'm going to accept that it is, <laughs> and just drink my tiny little bottle of wine now. It's probably a good idea. So... Let's continue where he's clearly going to keep murdering people, but now he's going to be really good at it. Yep. On August 1993, he left Albany Prison, didn't escape, he left, uh, because he was transferred to the Mount Prison in Hemel Hempstead in Hertfordshire as a result in change in his security categorization. 
And in October 94, he had home leave once again. Stop giving him home leave. That's not a good idea. You know what's better than that? He was given home leave two days after he was refused parole. <laughs> oh, he's going to escape. It, it's just like, why Why would you? It's mm-hmm. like, we're not going to let you out, but we're going to let you go home for a hot yep. second. Yep. And yep, he escaped. <laughs> uh, Drink he, up, me hearties. Mm-hmm. Yo-ho. <laughs> his mother noted that he'd sold all his belongings to fellow pr- inmates while in prison and had asked prison authorities not to release him. Kind of. So yeah, they kind of had warning that it was going to happen. But since I, I, there's but, a giant blinking sign yep. that says he will escape, he mm-hmm. will escape. But since he had, as well, gave him two hundred two hundred quid, and he used it to go overseas. And he used he used the birth certificate of another inmate to avoid recapture, called Simon James Davis, and he used it to get a uh, passport in his name. Not shady at all. Nope. And within a month of his escape, he turned up back in New Mexico as John Martin. He went to the British Embassy and said that he lost his passport and managed to get a replacement. Oh, so good. Mm-hmm. That bureaucracy working so well. Yep. And on the 8th of March, 1995, Martin arrived in Singapore from San Francisco. That's a hell of a flight, I'm going to guess. Mm-hmm. It's too long. <laughs> Uh, I can't imagine it being a pleasant one. No. Especially on 90, especially on 95 planes. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, so let's get um, back into it, because I think it is getting, it's going to get very early, very late, I guess. <laughs> you mean the sun's going to rise for you very soon. No, the sun has risen. <laughs> the sun rose like an hour ago. Oh, my God. <laughs> so... Singapore. Keep trying to bring it back, man. You got this. I know. So around here is when his uh, when the killing started. So over the time he was active, he was known to like he was said to have killed at least three people in Singapore and Thailand, and may have possibly killed others in Belize, Mexico, and the U.S. So um, yeah, basically what he'd do is pose as a tourist and talk to random to randomly chosen white people. Essentially, <laughs> um, either on flights or while waiting at airports, and would and would essentially sit, stay in the same hotels as them in a room near theirs, and would essentially try and find an excuse to be in their rooms before using an elect, uh, some kind of electroshock weapon, so like a taser or something, um, before hitting them in the head with a hammer and cutting them up in their bathrooms. No, nope. uh, anytime I don't trust anybody who. Once, like, if I notice someone, like, who's in the same hotel near me, and then they like the same room, I'm just like, no, that's definitely a murder plot. Yep. And he chose Caucasians as victims because it was far away from their home countries, so he'd be less likely to be discovered. That's uh, actually pretty genius mm. for a serial killer. Yeah, and um, like from what I can tell, it wasn't any sexual anything like that. It, uh, from what I can tell, the only real motive. Seem to be money that I could tell, but um, it's but I'm probably wrong. There's probably more there that I'm just not picking up on <laughs> because I am not a criminologist. <laughs> he seems to be very into money, so I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, and he also really liked butchering things. So yeah, that part's creepy. Mm. But yes, anyway. So um, his victims were Jared Lowe in Singapore and in Thailand, Sheila and Darren Damood 
Um, and there were also another three unconfirmed victims elsewhere. Poor Sheila. At least. Did they say how how he murdered them? Yes, that's what we're getting to. Oh, good. So, good. First one is Jared Lowe. All right, let's try and get back into it and just try and blitz it. Okay. Cool. You got your notes? Yep. Like I said, there are other crimes that he was suspected of being related to. Like, he was also suspected of having killed two men from South London uh, by the names of Timothy McDowell and William Shackle. But yes, we'll, we'll, go, we'll, go into the, we'll go through the main like crimes first, being the deaths of Gerard Lowe and Shula and Darren Damood. And, okay. then ho- and then hopefully it'll kind of come together after that. So We'll attempt it. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, there's a bunch here. <laughs> so it could have been a, it could have been more more kill more it could have been more murders. <laughs> Just leave more kill in. That's better. It, yeah. it could have been more kill. It could have been more kill. <laughs> Your new tagline, it could have been kill dozer. It could have been more kill. Yeah. Essentially, it it could have been more kill. Um but because it was because there was a lot of travel, it's kind of hard to say. <laughs> and he's not using his passport. Yeah. I mean, it was it was ninety five as well, so so airports have been so softwares have been a little more lax. You can keep your shoes on <laughs> and your belts, and not put everything in tiny bags. Yeah, <laughs> you can have a bottle of water with you. I'm crying on the inside right now, just <laughs> thinking of how great travel would be. Oh man! But yes, so uh, oh my gosh! But yes, so first murder people, man, guy, um. <laughs> So, yeah, first, first, vic- first kill. First victim. There we go. That's the one I was looking for. First victim. The first victim was Jared George Lowe, who came from Johannesburg in South Africa and was a chemical engineer with South African breweries. Poor uh, man. He was just out there to make some beer. Yeah, he, he, he was. He gets murdered. Yeah. He, he was in Singapore to shop for electrical and electronic goods and stuff. And before leaving Johannesburg, he told his wife, Vanessa who was a local airlines employed, uh, his exact schedule saying that I will call you the moment I check into the hotel to give you the contact number. If you do not hear from me on the 10th of March, that would mean that I have a seat on the plane to return to South Africa and would return home on the 11th of March. But if I do not call you on the 10th of March, that would mean that I have not managed to get a seat and return on the 12th of March. So there was a pretty solid window for him to come home. He had a plan, though, man. That's yeah. pretty strict, pre-cell phone like, planning. This guy was ready not to get murdered, but unfortunately he got murdered. He's like me, living here, being mm. like, I want someone to know where I am pretty much every day to make sure if I'm missing, someone is looking for me. Because there are a lot of woods and bears here. Mm. Not going to get murdered by a bear. I'm trying really hard at that. <laughs> <laughs> so he did that much pretty, pretty much right. However... He did something very wrong. When he arrived at Singapore Shangi Airport on the 8th of March, like Martin came up to him under the name of uh, Simon Davis and started a conversation with him and suggested that they share a room. And he agreed. No. Which was no, this is. I'm sorry. This is like taken level stupid mm-hmm. right now. And uh, You're doing so good. Yeah. And they managed to, and they booked room fifteen eleven on uh, in the Riverview Hotel of Havelock Road. And um, the next morning, Martin asked the receptionist to delete Lowe's name from the room registration system, saying that he'd kicked Lowe out the previous night for being a homosexual. And 
it flew. So yeah, that flew because yeah. And um, he checked out on the 11th of March and flew to Bangkok the same day. On the 13th of March, 95, a pair of legs that was severed at the knees was found in a plastic <laughs> was found in a plastic bag floating off Clifford Pier. That was a reaction right there. They're just, they're just, so they're in a bag. There's just a floating bag. You grab the bag. There's just a pair of legs in there. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you, like? Like from, like from the knees down. Those poor people who found, like, could you imagine just finding legs below the knees? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost hard to say what you do in that situation because like, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, so three, three days after this, a pair of thighs and a torso were found in the same area, also in a plastic bag. And this is just laziness. Yep. You're not even spreading out your distribution. I you mean, know. he got. I mean, he got on a plane the next, like, in the same day. So, my thought is though, you already have them in separate bags. Put them in different dumpsters. Come on, this sounds really bad. <laughs> Don't half-ass it. Whole-ass it. More kill. But yes. Oh. So. So, at first, the single police could only really identify the body parts as belonging to a Caucasian, and they had a possible name after receiving a missing person report for Lowe from the South African High Commission, uh, as Vanessa Lowe had filed a report after he'd not made contact. Because he had a murder plan. Mm -hmm. Always have a murder plan. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, on the 1st of April, she confirmed that the body parts were her husband's through visual identification, though his head, <sighs> though his arms and head were never found. Wait, then what did she identify him by? Torso and legs, pretty much. I'm not going to say what I was thinking she identified him by. <laughs> you can fill it in. Oh, boy. I'm done with my tiny bottle of wine. That might be why. <laughs> so, next victim's. Sheila made a mood and her son Darren John the mood were the other victims who had come from British Columbia and Canada. So she was a ad administrator at the Pacific Christian School in Victoria, while Darren was a college student. And that's really close to me, actually. Yeah, like really freakishly. It's weird to be that close to think things in the Pacific Northwest now. Mm. And um, yeah, they'd come to Thailand on a holiday. And Darren flew to Asia first before Sheila met him in Bangkok during the spring break. They flew to Phuket on um, 15th of March with Martin, who was using his assumed name. And he was sitting in the same row as them and befriended them. They checked into Nili's Marina Inn, uh, which faced Patong Beach. And Martin was given room 48, while the Demudes were given the room next to it, which was room 43, or room a couple doors down. The Demudes weren't seen again after they ate breakfast the next morning. And at about 11 a.m., Martin asked the inn's receptionist to switch his room to room 43, saying that the Demudes had left and wouldn't pay their bill. Yeah, this is hinky. He asked to be moved into their room. Definitely, like, there's not bodies in the room that he doesn't want you to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he checked out and returned to Singapore on the 19th of March. Um... And on that day, the skulls of the Namud were found in a disused tin mine in the Kafu district. Uh, That's creative. Yep. A bit later, a torso and a pair each of arms and legs were found it, along the Barnai Trang Road, which was about 10 kilometers away. And this is about five days later. 
he's getting better at disposing of them farther apart. Don't throw them all in the same river. Come on. I mean, he gave it a couple of days, a few days this time. So yeah. Uh, but at this point, the body parts were so badly decomposed that the visual identification was impossible, and they had to use dental records to identify the skulls and forensic analysis to essentially conclude that the other body parts were like the Sheila's. The other parts of Darren's body were never found. I'm going to say he's getting better just because he has more parts of the bodies that are never found. That's mm. probably going to be pretty hard to hide things where they're like parts of bodies where their bodies are never found, especially now. So yeah, that's most of a person missing, but they only found his skull. Mm-hmm. But yes, um, some of the unconfirmed victims. So um, Scotland Yard had suspected that Martin had killed two men from South London, who were Timothy McDowell and William Shackle. In Mexico, Martin had discussed with his wife about going scuba diving with McDowell, who was taking scuba lessons while on holiday uh, on an island off Belize. He then, Madel disappeared in Belize in early 1985, but the police couldn't conclusively match him to body parts that were later found in the country. <laughs> the quote only suspicious activity they found uh, was the transfer of $21,000 from Madel's bank account to the account in San Francisco under Martin's name. Weird. Quote only suspicious activity. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so Madal was believed to have been murdered as he slept, and his remains thrown into a crocodile-infested river. Um, Martin refused to be interviewed by Scotland Yard while he was on death row in Changi Prison, and was, and therefore it was never confirmed. Mm. Now, Shackle was reported missing on holiday while in Mexico, in Cancun, and police reports said that Martin was in Cancun the, the same day that Shackle had cashed traveler's checks that were worth £4,000. Uh, and after that, he disappeared. Uh, he gosh, mm-hmm. traveler's checks. Who uses those still? Yeah, like ninety-five was a weird and wonderful place. <laughs> so he was also wanted in San Francisco for the murder of a homosexual prostitute called Tom Wenger on the twenty-eighth of March, nineteen ninety-four, and where Wenger's body was found chopped up and drained of blood, then and found in a garbage skip. In Mert, in Mert Alley in Polk Street Districts. feel like his butchering skills are really useful to him. Like Martin's... Yeah, like his photograph matched a facial composite picture of a suspect made by the San Francisco police, but he was formally mm-hmm. eliminated as a suspect um, after it was established he was living in a British halfway house at the time of the murder. On top of that, he was also being investigated for another murder in Arizona. He just got around. Yeah, like... It's a lot of places, and he's founded passports of a, lot, of a lot of his victims as well. Well, that's just stupid. You never keep the passports. Come on. I like uh, they tend to have uh, Martin's photo on them, mm. so they, they just changed the photo pretty much. Anything uh, that could be used to get a job, you should probably yeah. not keep that form of ID. I mean, I guess he well he faked it. <laughs> <laughs> he was faking it till he made it. Yep. So arrests. Arrest, arrest, arrest. Um, he was arrested at Changi Airport when he arrived on the evening of 19th March, 1995. Um, and he produced a passport with the name Simon Davis that he'd assumed. Because police had put the name on their wanted list on the 14th of March after they'd realized that Lower checked into the Review Hotel by, with someone of the same name. And um, 
in a police interview room at the airport, Martin smashed a glass panel and cut his wrist with a shard of glass in an attempt to commit suicide, uh, basically being scared that he'd be hanged, like a Filipino woman who had been hanged two days before for a double murder, uh, and he was taken to Alexander Hospital for treatment. Well, he's not kind of wrong, but that's also very dramatic. Mm, I mean, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i go into a bit about Singapore's um, reputation with capital punishment, though. They were, especially like around this period, they were very um, trigger-happy, I guess. I mean, I say trigger-happy, but they, they only executed people by hanging, so whatever that is. But yeah, so the police found five passports on Martin on top of his own. Two British passports, which were issued to Simon Davis, two Canadian passports for Sheila and Darren Demur, and a South African passport issued to Gerard Lowe, each with Martin's photograph attached to it. They also found credit cards belonging to Sheila Demur and Gerard Lowe. They also found credit cards belonging to Sheila Demur and Gerard Lowe, and on top of that, they found Simon Davis's birth certificate and items that Martin had used in his crimes. And so... He had a hammer weighing 1.5 kilos, or 3.3 pounds. A, a big ass hammer. Yep. A battery. Op- yep. A battery operated Z Force free electroshock weapon. A can of mace. Two pairs of handcuffs. A pair of thumb cuffs. Two police brand foldable knives. An oil stone and two Swiss Swiss Army knives. Um, so I've known an import of some of these into Singapore is illegal, of like in of itself, and. On the 21st of March 1995, the Martin was taken to court on initial charge like under the name of Simon James Davis and accusing him of forging Lowe's signature on a DBS bank credit card uh, transaction to uh, to try and get $6,000 in $6,000 in cash uh, on the 9th of March. Um, and three days later, he was charged under his real name for the murder of Jared Lowe in a Riverview hotel room, which was sometime between March 8th and 9th. So in later hearings, he was charged with forgery for for, for forging low signature up to five more times to get cash and stuff. Vandalism for smashing the glass panel in the airport. <laughs> oh, that's a dumb one. <laughs> I know. Possession of an offensive weapon, which was the electric shot weapon, and possession of a controlled drug as he had 24 sticks of cannabis on him at the time of the arrest. But I'm not sure what it means by sticks, but so it could be joints or what. I don't know, but... Sticks, it says. It has to be joints. Yeah. That's such a weird way to phrase it. It is, right? But either way. So, yeah, the um, preliminary inquiries essentially had uh, written statements from as many as 77 witnesses uh, (laughs) supporting the murder charge and 11 other charges uh, from forgery and all that stuff. In regards to the um, Canadian, like the Thai murder investigations, um, the like the Thai authorities were essentially still waiting for forensic evidence before deciding whether they they'd file charges. So they haven't okay. it yet. Um, like when the trial came around, came around, um, a confession that that scripts made uh, was admitted as evidence, as he uh, where he told the court that he met Lo at Changi Airport on March eighth and agreed to share a hotel room, and admitted to killing Lo in the room after he was awakened by a half naked Lo who was smiling and touching his buttons. Um, <laughs> that was the exact. That was the quote that I had. Oh, I believe you. That's the quote. Yep. He, yeah, but I don't believe him. Mm-hmm. And he like, and he said, "I'm not a homosexual." And at that time, it appeared to me Mr. Lowe was a homosexual. 
I freaked out, I kicked and started swearing, I had experience of such things in the past, and I was very frightened. Scripps then said he used a three-pound camping hammer, quote, to hit low several times on the head until he collapsed onto the carpeted floor. My right hand was covered in blood, everything happened so quickly. Um, so, yeah. That just seems like a BS excuse. It, Yeah, it does. It really does. Like, it really, really does. <laughs> but um, he went on to say, after realizing Lowe was dead, he sought the help of a British friend, but that he refused the name because he was scared that his friend would go after his family uh, because he was quite oh, angry. I'm sure. And, I'm sure. Yep. And he said that his friend disposed of the body without telling him how. Scripps then denied that it was him that cut up Lowe's body. So it was his, it was his friend, his unnamed friend. It's always an unnamed friend, isn't it? My friend did this. Okay, Johnny, sure, sure. Like, there's a whole lot of suspicious shit going on here. <laughs> it's like, sir, I can't throw a, any of your story five feet and have it be believable. Yeah. So, yeah, basically, the defense tried to show that Scripps didn't intend to kill Lowe, and the killing mm-hmm. was at the manslaughter, uh, which carries a maximum penalty of life in prison. Really, he was just trying not to get death. Yeah. Yeah, on the fourth day of the trial, um, prosecutor Jennifer Marie uh, kind of just showed that he'd practiced forging Lowe's signature um, at, by showing the court items which um, were taken from Scripps luggage, which included a notebook and tracing paper filled with practice signatures of Lowe's name. I'm sorry, how dumb are you? Don't have anything with tracing paper. Evan, just not tracing paper. <laughs> <laughs> The only thing you ship with tra- tracing paper and it's carbon paper, carbon copy paper is for your checks in case your apartment building loses your rent check and then you'd be like, bitches, I already paid. But other than that, no, don't use it. <laughs> Just don't. Yeah. Like, this is a goldmine of wit of like questionable shit going on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the prosecution was um, claiming that Scripps committed premeditated murder with the intent to rob Lowe, which they had a pretty strong case for. Um, she also produced credit cards, passports, and the other documents that um, had been tampered with. Um, and while his defense lawyer, Edwin Pereira, questioned two police officers uh, and tried to show that they conducted an in- inadequate search for blood traces next to the hotel room, uh, where scripts claimed that Lowe had fallen and bled to death. And police witnesses said that there were no traces of blood in the carpet and only in the bathroom. So basically, they were tr- like the defense was trying to imply that if the police didn't find any blood traces on the carpet, it would have been mm-hmm. because they didn't have enough tests. Um, because remember, Lowe was said to have fallen in the bedroom. I don't know why I don't believe him. Yeah. Um, the real question is, do I not believe him because of all the burglars? Yeah, it's or... like wh- <laughs> it's like why do I not believe him? <laughs> There's a lot of reasons. <laughs> or because he escaped so many times. A government pathologist called Chelsea Cheng testified that the way that Lowe's body was cut up essentially indicated that only a doctor, a vet, or a butcher could have done it. Uh, essentially, telling, and telling the police, "Look, you're dealing with a serial killer." Wow, that butcher thing really did come back up. Shocking. Yeah, I know. This was the biggest case in Singapore for like twelve years or so. I think this like is like a that- Dahmer or or yeah. a Bundy. Yeah, but this is going off. Like, and it's curious, heavy. Like, um, he was sitting between two, two 
uniformed armed police guards in a glass me- and a metal cage with his legs in irons. Like, they weren't that really fucking... appropriate. Yeah. Um, and it was quite a quite, like, it was quite a big case. It was one it was one of the first ones that they they showed pictures of the body parts. Surprised me because when I googled it, I couldn't really find the pictures. So maybe they weren't public. Maybe like it was like it was shown there, and I'm pretty sure it was shown in a documentary that uh, came up when I was looking at it. But I didn't, I didn't get time to watch it. So I don't know. Yeah. So when when the images were shown, um, Martin argued that he was by nature not a violent person. I ha- I saying I may have worked in the butchery, cuss- but cutting up a human body is another thing. When I saw the photographs, it made me feel sick. Again, I don't believe him. Mm-hmm. And I can't pick the reason why. Yep. Hmm. It might be the breaking into your your ex-wife's house and replacing her husband's clothes with either too tiny or too big clothes. And I know that's <laughs> not a real fact now, but I'm going to go with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh. And when he was asked about what he did after King Lo, he said that he couldn't remember because he drunk heavily and and consumed Valium after like after Lo's death until he was arrested, and essentially spent the next the next days in a dreamlike state. Fair. I mean, if you're gonna murder someone, mm-hmm. might as well just yep. drug uh, yourself up, drink yourself out. Yeah. He then repeated that he didn't kill the moods and had come back to Singapore from Phuket to clear his conscience about Lo's death. Again, gonna call BS on yeah. that. Yep. Um, the prosecution then went on to say that Scripps used Lowe's credit card for a shopping spree and to attend the classical music concert soon after the killing. Um, culture. Yeah. He's getting like, some culture in post-murder culture. Yep. Like doing doing stuff like buying a video cassette recorder for his sister. Uh, buying <laughs> buying hi-fi stereo speakers and also running shoes. On March 9th. Yeah, he and bought a thirty dollar ticket to the Singapore Symphony Orchestra. So yeah, these these were you and of course these were used as evidence where the prosecution essentially said you're not telling the truth when you say you're walking the dream world. On the contrary, you were clear in your mind what you were doing. And Scripps said that he didn't remember buying the concert ticket and that he didn't attend the performance and went drinking with a British friend that night instead. Uh, this friend, man, just keeps coming up. Yep. And when questioned by the prosecution about his movements between March 8th and March 11th, Scripps said that his memory was hopeless. Again, I'm going to call BS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and asserted that he didn't have the skills mentioned to dismember a human. And he also disputed that he had ample time to uh, chop up the body, pack the parts in a suitcase, and throw them in a the river. I mean, really, how long does it take you to pack up a body and throw it in a river? Well, I, 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 I mean, I don't know. I guess cutting things up would take a while. But apparently, but, That's true. Yeah, but it was generally said that he that with his skills, he would have been able to do it. On October 25th, 1995, he said that he didn't report killing Low because he feared that he'd be automatically hanged under Singapore's laws, which is a, honestly a good argument. Uh, I'll talk about their laws a bit in the, like, very shortly. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, basically he said, so he said that he didn't call a doctor or any staff after Lowe collapsed in their room, quote, because this man died at my hands and under Singapore law, that is an automatic death sentence. That's what I understood at the time. And I've got a bit more information about his supposed friend at the moment. 
saying that he was staying at a hotel on the nearby island of, Sen- of Sentosa, and he'd flown to his friend's hotel while the body was being disposed of, saying that he'd known the man for eight, ten years, uh, and he once worked in an abattoir. He was cautioned by the judge that his reluctance to give basic information could harm his defense, and um, yeah. I realize what this is. It's the Shaggy song where he goes, it wasn't me. Yeah. It's like, we caught you with, we caught you murdering him in the bathroom. Wasn't me. Mm-hmm. We caught all the body parts. Wasn't me. Yeah. But the prosecutors also um, tried to point out discrepancies of his early statements, saying that Scripps' statement to the police on April 29th made no mention of any, of any attempted homosexual assaults. And basically, uh, they directly said that they're suggesting that it never occurred. But, you know, that's also something that they might have tried to stack the cards a bit. It's kind of hard to say. Oh, yeah. But he, but yeah, either way, he hadn't, he hadn't reported it to British prison authorities. Again, not super shocked. That one's hard to say. And basically, in the closing arguments of the trial, the prosecution told the court um, in the closing arguments... The conduct of the accused after the killing suggested that he was a cold, callous, and calculating. A far cry from the confused, dazed man walking in a dream world, the picture he gave himself, uh, saying that Scripps was a man very much in control of his faculties. Um, and Yeah, he seems very controlled of his faculties. Yeah. Then went on to say that he's a man who had no qualms about lying continuously, consistency, and um, even on the witness stand in any and every matter. While the defense said that we we urge the court to come to a finding that the accuser is not guilty of murder, but guilty of culpable homicide, not amounting to murder. As, like I said, they weren't trying to... They were just trying to get him off death. However, on, when when November 7 came came along, uh, the judge uh, adjourned, adjourned the trial for three days to consider his verdict. And when it, and when it resumed, he was satisfied that the case was presented and dismissed Martin's version of attempts and in a verdict that said, I'm satisfied beyond a reasonable doubt that Martin had intentionally killed Lowe. After that, he disarticulated Lowe's body in several parts, and it was he who subsequently disposed of the body parts by throwing them into the river behind the hotel. On the evidence, I had no difficulty to find that it was Martin who was concerned with the deaths of Sheila and Darren, and for the disposal of their body parts found in different sites in Phuket. The the disarticulation of the body parts of Lowe, Sheila, and Darren have the hallmark signs of having been done by the same person. Altogether, this similar fact evidence reinforces the decision I have made, for it, be, for it puts beyond doubt that Martin is guilty on the charge of murder. The sentence of this court upon you is that you will be taken from this place to a lawful prison and taken to a place to be hanged by the neck until you are dead. And may the Lord have mercy on your soul. Yeah, not shocked. Yeah. Yeah, his mother and sister, who who were at the trial's early days, weren't in court to hear the verdict. Um, but his his mother was quoted to us to say, "I brought John into this world. I'm the only person who who has the right to take him out of it. I can't believe how my boy could have changed from a kind human being into the monster described in court." I can. I think a lot of people have this reaction. Uh, but yeah, after the verdict, uh, defense lawyer Edwin Pereira told reporters that Scripps had the right to appeal. Uh, that he could exercise within 14 days, and he shall be advised that right. On November 15, 1995, Scripps announced that he'd appeal it, but he later dropped it without, without any explanation on the 4th of July, 1996, four days before it was heard. He then turned down a subsequent chance to petition the President of Singapore for clemency 
um, saying that he was impatient to be executed. I thought he just had a home visit, so he was going to escape again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So according to a spokeswoman from the British High Commission in Singapore, he won't be putting in a, uh, they said he won't be putting in an appeal. He's eager to get it over and done with. He's just waiting for the day. Like there were comments about how if you don't request clemency, they won't ex- they won't exercise clemency. I think that's a good point to go into a bit about this Singapore's execution, like stats a little bit, because I think I got a few facts about it just to, just to give a kind of idea, because you know it's a, it's like a system not many people are familiar with. I think are they fun so, facts? Maybe what well, is there's a few <laughs> of them. I I guess I can make I can I guess I can make some questions out of it. <laughs> so. Okay, let's try. Let's try this. Okay, so between 1975 and 1996, how many people did Singapore hang? Thirty. Uh, no. My close. No. <laughs> two hundred. Yeah, they hanged two hundred and sixty people for shit for drug trafficking and murder, with reprieves being extremely rare. Like they had the high, they had the second highest per capita execution rate in the world between 94 and 98. Estimated by the UN to be 13.83 executions annually per 1 million people. Um, That's pretty high. Yeah. The highest was Turkmenistan, which is now an abolitionist country, with 14.92. Um, in a survey done in 2005, uh, Singaporeans were, were surveyed about their stance on death penalty. What percentage do you think believe that they should retain the death penalty? This was in 2005. <laughs> I'm going to go 60%. We're going to go above average. 95%. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we need to open the other tiny one just for this. <laughs> I can find where to put it. Well, let's crack this open. I'm going to get a good crack on there. There, there we, we go. go. There we go. It's a good twist. Top. Mm-hmm. Execution in Singapore are uh, very um, systematically done. Each execution in Singapore is carried out by the long drop hanging system in, mm-hmm. in Shanghai Prison at dawn on Friday, except once on 20th May 2016, when the execution of Ko Jiaming was carried out at 3.30pm after his appeal for a stay of execution was dismissed that morning. And I couldn't really, I couldn't really see when that's since, but it's for a long time. <laughs> there's, there's another two, there's another two. Okay, between 1993 and 2003, 36% of those executed were foreigners, including some residents in Singapore, um, as half, the, half Singapore residents are foreigners. Okay. And finally, so the chief executioner, Darshan Singh, was, was in service since 1959. Before, and before he executed people, he used the phrase, I'm going to send you to a better place than this. God bless you. And um, this, guy, this guy alone has some facts. Like, oh, do I get to answer questions? Yep, you do. How many people do you think he said he's executed since he started? I'm going to again go with 200? Higher. 500? 850. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. How do you even keep track of... Mm-hmm. It's just like, it's so matter-of-fact then. Yep. It's so systematic. How many people do you think this, this could have been in one day? You said they start in the morning. On Fridays. Uh, yeah. Oh, they're done in the morning on Fridays. Done in the morning on Fridays. About 40 a day? No, you go, you go much higher. It's actually, yeah, it was 18 in one day using three ropes at a time. Like, he also claimed that he'd hanged seven people within 90 minutes. 
Why would you claim that? That's not something you put on your tombstone. I mean, it might be if your job is chief executioner for like 40 years. <laughs> He's going to join all the people he sent there. At that point, I think your tombstone is a kill count. It's just Gimli and Legolas going back and forth, shouting numbers of the number of people the orcs they killed. But anyway, going back to Martin, we're just coming up to the end, the end stages now. So, in the days of always hanging, Martin would write of emptiness inside of him, lamenting that no one loved him beside his family and his ex-wife Maria. Know that he was semi-literate, so this is just one of the notes. Um, and it, but, um, but yeah, he wrote, um, One day poor, one day reach. Money filled the pain of hunger, but what will fill the emptiness inside? I know that love is beyond me, so do I give myself to God, the God that has betrayed me? Can I be a person again? Only time will tell me. You may take my life for what it's worth, but grant those that I love peace and happiness. Uh, complaining in prison that you're told every day that you're not a member of the human race. Yeah, this sounds like an early, mid-2000s emo song. Mm, it does. Well, this has taught me is don't commit crimes in Singapore. Yeah, I mean, don't commit crimes is just generally a, it's just generally a good advice thing to live by. Don't do crimes. Don't do crimes. You've heard it here. <laughs> Get a T-shirt that just says "Don't do crimes." Oh my god! Can I, I I need a "Don't do crimes" T-shirt. Um, but yes, anyway, let's uh, get into the end bit. Yeah, so they actually interviewed his former wife, who said that they'd separate in in eighty eight, but um, they but they remained emotionally attached, saying, "I knew this would happen to John, but didn't know it would hurt as much." The last memory I have of him is a message set his is a message he sent promising we would meet in the next life and that he would never let me go again. She said that Scripps was very religious and had become a, di- a devotee of the version of Guadalupe, who, who are, which I'm probably pronouncing horribly, and, it's, and is apparently Mexico's patron saint. So I'm sorry for mispronouncing that. <laughs> oh, um, Gua- is it Guadalupe? That's the one. The version of Guadalupe. The, the, mm-hmm. yeah. the okay. mysterious one that just appeared. I have no idea. <laughs> oh, that's a that's one you should cover because it's a little crazy. Okay, I'll I'll look into that one. But yeah, like she said that though the relationship ended because of his criminal ways and his womanizing, he was never violent towards her, and she remained in love with him. But yeah, so uh, now I have Britney Spears' womanizer stuck in my head. So yes, that was the story of John Martin Scripps. His other names from media have been the Taurus from Hell. Uh, Simon James Davis and the Garden City Butcher. Um, I like the tourists from hell. It's all Americans in a foreign country where they don't speak the language and won't eat the food. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like the tourists from hell because you just because you know that it was from the sun. <laughs> well, I, I guessed it, and then I and I looked it up, and I was like, "Yep, that's right." <laughs> but um, anyway, so we'll cut to music and then come back from an outro. And we are back. So that was depressing. <laughs> so that was the story of John Martin Scripps. Um, do you have any comments or anything? Um, I was debating about adding Singapore to my travel list, but thank you for correcting that. I'm pretty sure this show could do that about anywhere. Don't do crimes. Don't become a butcher. Don't burgle and sell antiques. 
Yeah, this dude was a little messed up. Mm. And I've drank about, I'm going to go with like three tiny bottles of wine because the, the <laughs> big bottle of wine wasn't very full. Um, hence, I had to get the tiny bottles. I, I'm glad I gave you um, something to drink about. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, yeah, especially because I have to wake up now earlier. I just got, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's now 6.15. And, thank um, you for giving me something more terrifying than the thought of backed bites. <laughs> I'm still freaked out by the bear situation because apparently they're just around. Yeah. And I'm in Ted Bundy country and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, totally see how this happened now. Yeah. It's dense um, forest, man. It's <laughs> dense forest. Lots of it. Yeah. Oh, man. Yes. Yeah, so do you have anyone, anything to plug or shout out to or whatever? So the Cult of Domesticity will be back in July. Uh, I will still be on it, and the question is, what will it be? But check us out in July. Also, hopefully I'll be readjusted into this job and maybe actually on the correct time zone. Mm. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? I mean, I, I mean, I'm recording this between like four and half six, so I don't think I can have a time zone anymore. <laughs> 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 You're still in university, so time zones don't matter. I have a Not anymore. job now. <laughs> yes, you're at the end of it, but still counts. I know. Um, <laughs> yeah, so cool. So what was I going to say? And uh, yeah, cool. So um, my shout, what was, what was I going to shout out to? Oh yeah, cool. So my plugs this week, it's going to be for the Medley Network. Um, and there's a whole bunch of podcasts on there um, that you can go check out. I post a picture on some on our social media of like people in it, um, and you'll be able to check the website soon, um, depending on when this comes out in context of when the actual website comes out. I can't. While you're looking up that, I'll give you a Lewis and Clark fact I've learned since working here at my new job. Uh, I believe it was Lewis got shot in the ass by a one-eyed Canadian geographer. Hmm. Fun fact. Amazing. Also, they had a dog named Seaman, and every time it makes me laugh. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, yes, so, 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 I know what I'm doing now. Uh, uh, so, the Metal Network, I can, I can just read off people that are on it at the moment. <laughs> well, so far, at least. Now that I've given you... I've given you my fun facts. So, yes, now yes. you've had time. Yes. Um, cool. So, thank you for the filler. <laughs> cool. So, Metal Network, <laughs> we, we currently have me, Blood in the Rocks. Um, we have Affirmative Murder Podcast, Men's Rare, The Brothers Commonplace, uh, Obscura, Eye for an Eye, Killing It Crimecast, Fiercely Altered Perspective, or The Fat Pod. Uh, Lust Mordia, <laughs> uh, Something's Not Right, Maul, Trace Evidence, Murder and Such, Helen Higher Horror, Corpus Delicti, or Delicti, Something, along those lines. Um, <laughs> All Crime, No Cattle, uh, Martinis and the Macabre, Nature and Narcissism, and Based on True Crime Podcast. And that's probably all of them. I might have missed them. If I have, then that's unfortunate. I try There's a lot. Best. I try my best. Um, <laughs> it's still in the opening stages, so it's still a bit 
like, I, I still have no idea what's going on really I'm just hoping for the best <laughs> but I'm quite excited yeah, about it. yeah you guys just launched uh, the first right I think it was like two, yesterday the day before it was, I think it was 11th on American time okay yeah they're in New York so yeah. but yeah anyway so um, yeah that's that plugged oh Patreon stuff Patreon stuff <laughs> That's 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 important. I I keep I, I keep forgetting something every time. You gotta get a little like little like script man for I the do. end. I do I do I'm really <laughs> bad at the end, but I always change what I put in the end. <laughs> I I just like to say to spout words. <laughs> but yeah, cool. So for the Patreon, um, I'm going to upload the, like, the episodes on there not like normally. So basically, you any patrons of any level will get no ads. Also, the first Patreon episode came out last week on HP Lovecraft's Life, and that was pretty cool. I found out I should have another episode out very soon because it's because it kind of turned into a mini series. I was going to have it out as a single episode and realized it was too big, and I just decided to <laughs> make it. I just decided to expand it instead because apparently I need more things to edit. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, next, the next episode will be on like Lovecraft themes and influences and stuff like that. What else? We have social media. We have Facebook at facebook.com slash blood on the rocks, twitter.com slash the bloody rocks, Instagram at the bloody rocks, email at, bo, at botrpodcast at gmail.com. Oh, and the Patreon website link is patreon.com slash blood on the rocks. That's probably important. I think that's everything. Maybe, probably. Do you, can, you, can you think of anything else? Uh, I guess. Oh, yeah. I should do my social media. I guess. Oh yeah, I you should. Really been, I haven't really been on because I've been working crazy yeah. hours. Um. Yeah. So if you're looking for a cult of domesticity, it's at Domestic Podcast for Facebook and Twitter, and Instagram is the Cult of Domesticity. If you just search us, we'll pop up. Um, I won't be that active during June because I just started a new job. So you, if anyone's ever done that, you know how fun it is. And it's kind of like technically two jobs. So you got time to catch up. <laughs> yeah. Catch up on all the episodes and it, get ready for some different stuff. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully I won't be eaten by a bear. So what more do you want? Not being eaten by a bear. Very good things. That, that really should be a Patreon bonus. <laughs> you don't get eaten by bears or crushed by elk yeah i mean i'd I'd probably pay to not get eaten by bears but yeah so um and i just remembered something else <laughs> <laughs> um it's, it's something i've been saying i wasn't gonna forget this week because i forget <laughs> i forgot it for the last four weeks and i was because i had some more reviews i've got some more reviews but they're on the social media so i so i'm not my actual itunes things there's just a couple i wanted to read it's from angela Oh, I see. It's from Angela. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I'm just going to say Angela because I don't want to give people's full names out. Who <laughs> um, reviewed this on Facebook, five stars, said, Actually, and his guests are always fun to listen to. The heavy accents are a bonus. <laughs> so, thank you, Angela. Yeah. I've also I've got other reviews from um, from other people, like Lynette, Laura, and you. <laughs> you gave me a review as well on Facebook saying... Uh, yeah. I love Akshay's choice of topics and, je- and guests. <laughs> it's a great combination of spooky, historical, and true crime. Definitely listen to the Kildos episode. Thank you, Courtney. It's my, 
It's my favorite episode. <laughs> it was a good episode. I had fun with that one. Oh my gosh. I'm not going to lie. Kate from Ignorance is Ignorance was Bliss and I have discussed possibly getting a killdozer to drive to CrimeCon next year. <laughs> but I don't know how much gas would cost for a killdozer. I can't also, imagine it's going to be very great. Also, could you imagine like what we're going to be driving through the deep south to do that? Mm. Oh, that would not be good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, uh, and also, I'm going to give a shout out to Erica, who just before recording this said, can't wait to listen when I posted about um, like posting this episode late. So thanks, Erica. I uh, hope, hope you enjoyed this episode. You're a superstar. Yep. And thanks to everyone else that's, mess- that's messaging me on social media or, uh, or anything else like that. It uh, means a lot. And now we're done. So yeah, thanks for listening. Don't forget to tell your friends and have a great week. I'll see you soon. <laughs>